what would you say was Sly's greatest talent? Was it being a leader? Was it the charisma? Was it the songwriting? Was it the singing? What was it about him? Well, the, you know, I got to say that uh, there, there was a, a good chunk of all those things. Because he, I mean, obviously was, the songs are still relevant today. They were written back then. You know? uh, and he knew how to work an audience. He knew how to how to deal with the moment. So that kept it interesting and exciting. Um, you know, you felt like you know you were there. You were in the you were in, as part of this experience that was happening. So I mean, I, I think all, all the things that you mentioned had a high degree of um, of uh, input and all those things. Mm-hmm. Who would you say was more um, responsible for, I don't know if responsible is the right word, but who do you think had the greater impact on funk as a genre, Sly or James Brown? Well, James Brown um, had already created the funk that he created before the group started. Matter of fact, I remember Sly and I going to see him at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. And we're walking backstage and he stops on the and Sly says, Yeah, Sly, when you when you get that, when you get that hit, don't it was what he was saying is don't let up, don't stop. Just keep on keeping on, keep on hitting it. Just like that's what people want to hear. You can't let up, you know. So although or or like like as we discussed earlier. Our music wasn't, it wasn't the kind of music that you would just 100%, 100% perform verbatim as the record was. Some of it was good, but a lot of it you had to change up. And so with that, there was that, that element was really, and so, I mean, as far as timeline goes, I give you know, James had already started. He was already doing what he was doing. But I think, you know, we took that element and let's say took it to a different level into a wider scope of um, you know, the songs covered a lot more, you know, don't, but there were grooves and it was very musical, um, but they also covered a lot more, I think, the social stories and challenges and content were were a bit wider in scope than what James was doing. Yeah. His, his stuff was. He was the first one I remember in high school listening to this, but I go out and get I get the records and oh my it was, it was nothing like James, you know. That stuff hit the mark. So why did things uh, start to splinter or, you know, why did things start to come apart at the seams? What was, what was your experience at the latter part of the 60s or 1970, whenever that was? Well, probably um, all the obvious things, you know, I mean, just the pressures of the success and the intenseness of the touring and the attention. Uh, and of course, the drugs uh, probably played a big part.
part of you know part of it part part of it that making it you know bigger than reality for lack of a better term but also there's you know it took its toll you know? and uh, it's, it's probably one of the bigger elements in in the division all the things that it created you know as a byproduct you know it, it doesn't seem like it ends up very well with that element at what point did you say i've had enough and it was a sort of a straw that broke the back for you yeah 1971 was the point i said i don't know and you know i mean it was just the the focus was in the first half of the existence of the group was the music and then it seems like that focus changed later on the drugs and the, the altered states of mind and all that kind of stuff and um, it didn't support it didn't seem to support what it what it required to maintain the group is what we were created not for but what, you know what we had created and what we were doing you know you could have the illusion of it and that's probably one of the problems still we were attending to all those things that needed responsible attending to but it really was and i think the, the band suffered so and that that happened while in the middle of of doing this record or what was it the yeah, time timeline there's a right going on yeah good expression of it yeah you know you got you got to realize it didn't happen then it was already happening and then as time went on uh, you know then you express it and of course that was a good that's a great record too some good stuff on there but you could you could see i mean you could hear and feel the the change of you know the color of the music and it's got darker and it got heavier you know um, you could still tell stories out of all that and create good music but that thing we had created in the, in the beginning was pretty amazing and I, I, I would, would have liked to see it continue for a little bit longer. Yeah. So, how much was the the vibe of this record due to you think um, substances uh, compared to what was going on just in that period of history and culturally in America? Oh, it was probably very relevant. I mean. And, and it got even it, it, it got deeper and uh, you know the volume was turned up on all those things we're talking about even more as we got into the 80s probably which in the 80s probably would have been the, the peak of all that i think it was a pretty close expression of what was going on people were still having fun with all this at that point in time i think Were you uh, surprised um, that later on Fresh came out and it was, I mean, that's a solid record. In fact, it's one of my favorite 
funk records is fresh. Um, were you surprised that that came together so well as it did after all the chaos that was going on? Uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, uh, because some of the things that took place, you know, took place that might have been negative. Sly was still was, you know, I mean, he was a genius. I mean, he had a lot. There was a there's a lot there still, and um, he probably, you know, he was definitely capable of doing that. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I was surprised that he took the challenge, and and you know, yeah, and and came out with something that really came together probably more than you would expect looking at the situation only in that but i but i knew that he was capable of doing that yeah. how come uh, you and uh, larry graham didn't kind of stick together as a, as a rhythm section since he left so close to when you left also well actually uh we, we it, when he started graham central station um I was in the first uh, the first six months. As a matter of fact, myself, and Neil, Sean, are both in the group at the very first first inception of the group. And then, uh, you know, we had different ideas of doing different things, and we all went different ways. Hmm. Well, you know, I had um, Patrice uh, Banks was on the show. And she was talking about that period and how dark it was and all the drug problems and stuff. And Larry had some issues too. So, um, you know, I don't know if that affected the beginnings of Grand Central Station um, or if you feel comfortable talking about that. But No, not necessarily. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, I, I don't think drugs were, it was just an individual thing, you know. Uh, it, but, you know, the, the situation never, I think, got to the point where uh, it, uh, it, it was because, like, like, were, you know, missing shows were late and all this, and you, you could probably directly connect, you know, point at the blame on the, the excessive drugs. Uh, with the parting of ways with Larry, with the Grandchester Station, it was just, it, 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 that wasn't the thing. That wasn't the point. And it wasn't about that. No, mm -hmm. it was great, you know. But we just had different. You know, Larry wanted to do certain things. Is I wanted to do it this way. I wanted to do something a little bit different. So we just amicably took different paths. So what did uh, what did you do when you when you came out? You played with some great folks, though. Yeah, I took a year off when I first stopped. And, you know, when they left the group, I took about a year off. But then I then I got in, back into it, and I, I I wouldn't change it. It was great. I got, I got some wonderful opportunities to go around the world, play music with different people, and weather report. You know, goes off on a one shorter. Uh, I produced Betty Davis's first record. Betty Davis, uh, You're kind of uh, dropping down a little bit. Yeah talking about producing Betty Davis's first record. She was the wife of Miles. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I got some great tours with some phenomenal artists like David Bowie, you know, Peter Frampton for a little bit. Um, so I had, I had some wonderful musical opportunities that 
I was blessed with. And then I got into production and writing also myself. I produced records for um, and, and co-wrote and performed on with Lee Oscar, uh, who's the harmonica player in War. And uh, a couple of the tunes, as a matter of fact, one of the tunes that we had created back then in the mid 70s um, was a hit, not then, but a couple decades later, other artists either sampled or took this. There was one tune called San Francisco Bay that <clears throat> became Timber by Pitbull and Keisha, which was, you know, really big record worldwide. So that song kind of uh, lived um, a few different, in, wearing different suits, you know, <laughs> at different times. And uh, so I, you know, some great, great opportunities to just continue on in music and also took some time off to raise a family. And, you know, I'm back playing again and having more fun than I did in, in the beginning or just as much. And it, uh, it keeps me shape, keeps me young. I love yeah. it. Yeah. That's great. Well, we're uh, certainly glad for that. I mean, yeah. thank goodness you are still here to tell these stories. And I mean, of course, for yourself, but I mean, and, and, and to still be playing the music. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so when you played with those other acts, did they come looking for you or did you just, how, how did some of those kind of yeah. just happen? I was getting, you know, I, I was getting phone calls to do this and to do that. And I finally just had the bug to go out and get back into it again. Like I said, I took a year off. I had a, I mean, I had a Harley Davidson. I just took a year off and just rode and hung out and didn't, you know, just dropped all, not all responsibilities, but just did that, you know, to kind of recreate myself. So it was nice because uh, when I when I decided to get back into it again, the phone was ringing and I just started answering it. Was there anyone in particular from all those that you mentioned that there's a memory from performing with them or a particular experience that just really kind of stands out that was funny or uh, particularly fulfilling or anything like that? Um, I don't know if there's anything funny. I mean, they were all very different. I remember, you know, I was in the, in the Gary Garcia band between 1974 and 1984, in between doing other projects, I'd go in and out of it. I, that was fun. I always dug playing with Jerry, you know. I mean, I, I, I was fortunate to have a, a lot of diversity in the things that came across my lap, you know. And um, I, I don't get to funny. Maybe put it differently. You know, I don't remember anything funny. They're all you know interesting. Yeah. What or was there anything that was the most creatively challenging? Like any? Uh, well, now you're talking. <laughs> that maybe would have probably been weather report because it was it was different than um, where I had been already musically, and it was actually it was perfect for the time that it came and, you know, leaving Sly, and, you know, I didn't want to do that again 
any less. So this was a whole different genre that required a lot, a lot of energy, a lot of input, but it was just a total different world. Touring just to get and being on stage and playing music it was wonderful. It was perfect for me at the time. And I do miss uh, Joe Salvano. He was just a wonderful person, incredible creative entity, amazing. As Wayne Shorter and everybody in the band, Don Mal playing percussion then, uh, bass player uh, from Eastern Europe, Miroslav Vitos, he was before Jocko played with them. Would have been nice to play also with Jocko, but I didn't get the opportunity. Yeah. Wow. Well, Greg, as we look back on the Sly experience, though, is there anything that you could uh, would say was your best memory of uh, of that experience? And um, I was going to ask for your worst also, but I think just your best would be fine. Yeah, best would be good. Stick with that. I, there was many. There's so many. I mean, from, you know, Woodstock, of course, to doing Ed Sullivan show, we did it three times. You know, it was that experience and all the other TV shows were Dick Cavett. So many great live performances. Like I said, it was, the band was, we would have so much fun playing that it was always, it was always like new, you know? So I have a lot of, a lot of good memories, and um, what to say? What was your uh, personal favorite uh, song to to play? Mm. Uh, one of them would be "Sing a Simple Song," uh, and, and they all were fun. But "Sing a Simple Song" had a just it's just played so profoundly uh and just to play it live i just always enjoyed it uh, i remember when we when i cut it when i went in that last session you know to do the drums over that was one of them and i remember when we cut it it wasn't that i don't remember particularly any like it took a bunch of takes or anything it wasn't like, i think my first or second take and we all looked at each other and and I remember Larry looked at me and he goes, <laughs> that one, you're going to remember, you know, like this is going to chase you around. And he was absolutely right. It's just such a thick groove. And it, it's gotten sampled so many times, I can't tell you. I love that one. Yeah. yeah. There, there's some of those songs from uh, the Sly years, like that one. And I don't know if you played on Thank Me uh, for Letting Me Be Myself. Did you oh. play on that one? Yeah. yeah. That one too. I mean, they just sound so ahead of their time. Mm -hmm. um, they're so innovative and they're so in the pocket. And, you know, I heard them later because of my age when I grew up. So I'm hearing them, you know, later on in like middle school and I'm just getting into funk music and mm -hmm. hearing those. And I'm saying, wow, that can't be that old. That can't be from that many years ago. It sounds like it could have just come out. And as they were astounding. Yeah, it, it was just like, you know, when we were talking about the whole new thing record, the first record, 
and it being uh, kind of like over everyone's head, for lack of a better term. Uh, but the material yet hadn't grew up to where, you know, like this from the Stand album, all those songs, just it's like that's when all that craft all came together and, and just all our experiences all came together and it's like the perfect storm and, and that's how you get a record like that I just thought. and the songs i mean decade after decade after decade they're still fresh they're still new some of them are still or as relevant or more relevant than they were when they were created definitely or story-wise or what it's saying and, and also influenced so many generations of musicians, but especially in the 70s with all the funk bands. And I wanted to ask you from all of those, um, a lot of them were called imitators. I remember in the 70s, so many of the funk bands, it seemed like whatever they would do, they would always get compared to Sly. You know, they would say it was a Sly imitator, it's second rate Sly, it's third rate Sly. That was like the, the barometer that they gauged it all by. And I was wondering if there was any band that came in Sly's uh, wake that you thought kind of really kind of did get it right. Um, probably, I remember the first time I had seen Prince on TV way in the early, uh, early part of his career. But he had the whole band, the whole band. And I'm looking and I go, holy cow, man, check this out. This is like a little, a little us, you know? It was like a it was like a clone of what we were back in the day. And uh so not only that it just he had that coming out of the gate. Well, I'm I'm sure I don't know how long it put together or whatever, but like I said, in the early stages. And I gotta say that he probably went on to create his own thing with the inspiration that the group gave him, Sly and, you know, music and songs, and um, did quite a bit with it all the way up until, you know, we lost them. Absolutely. I'd, yeah. I'd, put, I'd put it there. Were, were you hearing stuff coming out in the 70s, though, after you had left that whole scene, and you were like, they're just kind of rehashing what we did? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I, I maybe had that thought once in a while, but I didn't <laughs> on that. I was busy doing my own thing, you know, whatever it was at the moment. Is it is it true that you worked on David Soul's record? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so that's for those who don't know from Starsky and Hutch, David Soul, a hit record. Yeah, it was. Uh, I got a call. I mean, I don't. Need, I don't know David Soul. Right. I don't even think I met him. I don't remember even meeting him. Uh, it was the guys that owned the record plant in Sausalito, which was a profound studio uh, that was around a very historical place. Anyway, one of the guys called me and says, hey, I'll get this, you know, I'll get this couple tracks I'd like you to do on David Soul's record. And uh, matter of fact, during that period, we was also, I think, we did some tracks on the Bill Wyman record. Um, and different people, you know, there was so much going on then. It was like you just didn't think anything of it. Okay, yeah, casual phone call going on. You know. 
record playing was a cool place. A lot of history there. Yeah, yeah. How'd you know, and in LA then too, and the pork in there a lot. How'd you feel when drum machines came in? Were you uh, appalled? No, I remember one of the guys uh, that was real close to Roger Lynn, and uh, I was living in LA at the time, and um, you know, I didn't think too too much of it. Actually, you know, way before that, if you think about it. When I left the group, uh, Sly, the person on Sly to continue recording, he used a rhythm king, a drum machine. It wasn't these sophisticated drum machines like, like, or even anything like the, the Lind, Lind drums. It was just a, a one of these rhythm boxes that you used to hear like in a Holiday Inn lounge, the cha-cha. <laughs> so, you know, he, but it, but there was a clock there, you know. So Sly used the clock. The principle of the clock, you know, so you had time so you could lay your track down. But then he took the these kind of corny beats that were in programmed in this box, electronic box, and and he turned the one around. So instead of you press a button, there's one, two, three, four, one. He started it like in between two and three. That would be the one, which kind of took the rhythm and pulled it inside out, and then you had this phrase that was unlike anybody ever heard before and then with what he combined it with uh, on the tracks that he cut you know it was very interesting he was one probably the first ones to use it i'm not sure if anybody did anything like that before that wow that's very, that's very good yeah you know so i remember i wasn't necessarily a studio musician like you know hired like you know this some guys that was their career i mean they did all the sessions and all that I get hired for stuff and then I was producing stuff myself. Uh, so to them, this was a big threat because producers and songwriters would just, they'd use these drum machines that are pretty sophisticated and uh, they cut trash. They didn't need the drummer anymore. Of course, everything's come around full circle. And there was definitely mm -hmm. a place for a live drummer and a live performance, just like, it, it, you know, to jump ahead to uh today's performances you got guys on a stage with a turntable and you know two hundred thousand people out there going yeah yeah and it's just one guy on a stage with a turn playing loops and you know so as things go uh i guess there's a place for everything you know you get into you get into certain um, aspects of uh, of hearing music and but just i think there will always be a wonderful place for a band that can perform live there's nothing like it i sure hope so yeah <laughs> what uh was it like going to the rock and roll hall of fame in 1993 oh it was great to you know be acknowledged way down the road after all those years and, you know parents enjoyed every moment of it the slide was late of course but he did show up <laughs> he just turned 75 i saw yeah yeah, yeah. Did, did you keep in touch at all, like subsequently, or? Yeah, I mean, off off and on through the years. Yeah, I've been in touch with them. Lately, I haven't spoken to them. I don't know. It's been about a year now. But um, in and out, on and off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the uh, the latest uh, version of the, of the band. You know, uh, who who's in it besides yourself, and and what are you guys doing now? Well, it's. Uh, 
we started out, it was, there were three original members, uh, Jerry Martini and Cynthia Robinson and myself. Fortunately, we lost Cynthia a couple of years ago. And we brought funds, fun into the group, which is Sly and Cynthia's daughter. So we still got new family blood in it. And it's, uh, it's great. We're having a ball, you know, we're just, uh, you know, we're out doing the music and, and uh, the challenge is to perform it in the spirit in which it was created. And I think the band does a real good job. Of it. So it's still fun and exciting to do. And the songs, I mean, the song book is like we were discussing before, it's still relevant. Anywhere we go around the world, all the generations that came way after we created this music are into it understand it's not like that what i was talking about earlier in the early part the stages of the group you know where audiences sit there and they don't know what to do they don't know how to relate this immediately hits and connects and people are just having a good time and dancing great experience you know it's nice to be able to do that today we need a whole bunch of that yeah. all around the world did you ever imagine back then you know in the late 60s uh that shift for decades and that those songs and what you were doing would have such a lasting impression didn't have a clue then no i mean i knew you know it, it, no <laughs> no did not have a clue then it's got to be a kick and, and and very fulfilling even uh you know even uh after the group was established and we had many hits on our belt, you know, and we had that momentum going. We still, I mean, there's no way of really looking ahead and knowing how things are going to change, what's going to change, so on and so forth. And uh, it just seems like it just, the music be still and keeps becoming more relevant as time goes on, you know. Did you ever consider recording under your own name or your own your own band name? Yeah, I've done a few things um, under my name. I did this one uh, project that uh, called the Giants that I had. It was um, that I did with um, the original Congo player from Santana, Michael Caravello. We did a project <clears throat> way back then. Matter of fact, it was during the time he's the one who introduced me to Betty Davis. By the way. And uh, we were doing a music project and recording, and he had brought Betty in to meet me. She wanted to meet me, and she asked me to produce her record. And so there was a series of tunes that we had recorded uh, with different, a lot of people from the original Santana group, like Herbie Hancock's on one of the cuts, and you know, there's different people. Um, but I've never done any, you know, extensive writing myself. I've cooperated. Like with Lee and other people on songs. So, you know, I try to keep it going and, and doing what I'm feeling at the moment. Yeah. So, as we wrap this up, what would you say you're most proud about having done musically? Um, you know, I'm proud. I, I, I feel good about everything that I've done musically. Uh, of course, you know, the standouts would be 
the group, this line of family stone. Uh, my experience with, with Joe and Wayne with Weather Report. How can uh, folks keep up with what you're doing now and find out, you know, when the Family Stone's playing, where they're playing, and all that other good stuff? Uh, so thefamilystonemusic.com is the website. It's got calendar there and all that, pictures, bios, and everything's there. There's some presence on Facebook, too, both under the group's name and in my own. Uh, that's it. Outstanding. Greg, uh, it's been so much fun. I know I accidentally called you Eric earlier. <laughs> I apologize for that. But uh, Greg Arico, the fabulous drummer from legendary Sly Stone, congratulations on just an unbelievable career. Thank you so much for sharing the time and stories and memories with all of us. Good talking to you, Scott. Take good care. Bye, everyone. <laughs> what an incredible and monumental legacy Sly and the Family Stone has left for all of us to enjoy with studio albums, such great, amazing songs and live recordings. Enormous thanks to my special guest, Mr. Greg Arico, the man who kept the beat for one of the most prolific rock funk bands in music history. I so appreciate him sharing his insights and his stories on truth and rhythm. Also a huge thank you as always to the viewers and listeners of this program. Thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to look for upcoming episodes of Truth and Rhythm and catch up on previous installments at funkinstuff.net, on YouTube, iTunes, and other leading providers. And we want to hear from you. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you want to see on the show, what you like, maybe what you don't like, what you want to see more of. Keep that feedback coming. been getting some great in-depth emails from, from everybody, um, and it's just a delight. I love it. So lastly, subscribe to Truth and Rhythm at the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. We need that support. So please subscribe if you already have. Get a friend, get a family member to subscribe. Support the show. Support these great funk, R&B, and jazz artists. Show them that funk, R&B, and jazz still matter. Keep the funk alive. We thank you. And so with that, as always, this is Scott, Dr. Gio Skolfine, signing off, saying keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.